You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you all out this Labor Day weekend. It's always good to be together. And those of you who are new to MCC, we welcome you. And those of you who come every week, we're so glad that you're here along with everybody that joins us online. Please take time throughout the service to give us a life update on that Connect card so that we can know where we can come alongside of you and pray with you or encourage you or share in some of the victories that you're experiencing. Uh, just, Just walking through the the room right and seeing couples grab the hand of their spouse and maybe it's been a while since you've done that to turn around and to see someone's eyes closed during a song uh, to look out during the time of speaking here in the message and and seeing somebody take notes it's so encouraging to see that you're allowing God to move in your life and in your relationships This week, we're going to turn to our next promise in this series, God's Promises. We're going to turn to the promise in Luke chapter 15, the promise of sufficient grace. There are several things to be excited about. Our Every Man Conference is coming up in two weeks, and I met with the guys last night. We're running about 50 right now, but there are another 50 of you that said you're excited and ready to be there, but we need you to go ahead and make that commitment this week. We've got to turn in our numbers this Friday, so please come and be part of a great great Friday night and Saturday morning together. Uh, Also want to recognize this morning at 8 a.m., This morning at 8 a.m., we had 15 or more of our middle school and high school students right here to begin a four-month study on leadership. And I am so proud of these students for coming out and doing... Yeah, you can clap. It's... And I know we often say things about our teens and the ministry here. And uh, I know on Saturday nights, they fill these first four rows. But it's worth saying, because we need to raise up a generation that is firm in their belief in Jesus Christ. And so we need to pause and we need to celebrate these things, because the reality is, is not only did the 15 come out for the class this morning, but they're all around you playing the keyboard this morning, running the cameras and the things that are going out online. They're downstairs in the children's ministry serving. These are our leaders today. And so I am so proud of them and I'm proud of their leaders who are doing a great job helping them find their place in God's kingdom. One last thing that we always celebrate, and that is life change. Janet Schmidt, last Saturday night, was immersed in her relationship with the Lord, and we're so excited for her and for her family. And those of you that are considering taking that first step yourselves, uh, don't let another week pass. Talk to one of us or just come up at the end of the service today at that time of invitation, at the end of the message, and we'll help you take that next step. Let's bow our heads before we dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity on this holiday weekend to be together and to be surrounded by people who, Father, have come seeking you and what your word holds for their life. Some maybe not even understanding why they were led here today. They've driven past this place for years, but yet today they pulled in. 
Uh, for those, Father, that just come every week uh, wanting to know what's next and wanting to know more of you, Lord, bless them. Bless them with your appearance today. Bless them with the understanding of your word. As we look at a familiar account, Lord, may we hear it with fresh ears today and make the application to our lives. It's your grace, Father, that allows us to live, and it's your grace that will have us with you for eternity, and we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this promise of sufficient grace, it, it's actually found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul writes about it, and he captures the very words of Jesus when Jesus says to the Apostle Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for in your weakness my strength is made perfect. Now, we're going to get to that promise in a minute, but in Luke chapter 15, we come to this parable. We come to this story that God, that Jesus in the flesh, that he tells the crowd that's listening, that he tells to us today, and it is a parable that is all about God's grace. And while the parable is commonly referred to as the story of the prodigal son, we discover that it's actually the father who is the main character of the parable. It's the father who loves his son, even when the son is doing his best to hate his father. It's the father who shows the deepest, most compelling grace as he waits, as he longs for his son to come home. And it's the father who never stops loving his oldest son, the one who remains the whole time pleading with him to experience the joy of his younger brother's life restored. It's a story, it's an illustration about our Heavenly Father's promise of grace for you and me. Let's look together in verse 11 of Luke chapter 15. There was a man, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, give me my share of the estate. And so the father divided his property between them. Now, if you underline, I want you to underline that because that's key. The father divided his property between them. Now, Kenneth Bailey, he's an authority. He's, he's an author. He's an authority on Middle Eastern customs and cultures. He says that this son's request, when he says, give me my inheritance, was the equivalent of his son saying to his father, dad, I wish you were dead. Dad, I, I'm unwilling to wait until you are dead. And so I want you to give me what is mine. I no longer want to live under your roof. I no longer want to live under your authority. I'm out of here. Just give me, give me what is due to me. Verse 13 says that not many days after the liquidation of his father's assets, the son, the son left. Now, we also need to understand that as this son makes what seems to be a private request of his father, it was very much a public thing, just as it is in our little small communities today, whether you live here in Memphis proper, right, or the outskirts, or Henryville, Borden Peak, and Scottsburg. Everybody knows what? Everybody knows your business. 
And in this case, here this man, he's a large property owner. He had to liquidate his assets. Word got around what was going on. And it was shameful. It was embarrassing. It should have been shameful to the son, but it was the father. It was the father who took all of the shame and the embarrassment. But I want you to notice what isn't included in the story. Notice that there's no hint of the father pleading with the son to stay. Notice there's no angry shouting match. There's no thought of retaliation. Son, if you leave, don't ever come back. You're no longer considered a part of this family. Once you're gone, the father could have refused this insulting request. But instead, what does the father do? The father absorbs the pain of his son's rejection. The father, the father heartbroken, loves his son nonetheless. How do we know? Well, we're going to see that in just a minute. But while we wait, I want you to consider this. Just as the father was hurt by his son's rebellion, his rejection, God is wounded God is wounded by our sin and rejection of him. Have you ever paused to think about that? That when you and I choose to ignore the leading of God in our life, that what we're saying is, God, you might as well be dead. God, I, I, I don't need you. Just give me what's mine. I'm going to do this on my own. But just like the father of the prodigal, I want you to understand that while God is wounded by our sin and rejection of him, he never stops loving us. Now, that's hard for me to fathom because I really struggle with loving people who reject me. Even if I just perceive rejection, it hurts so deep. And love always isn't the first thought that comes to mind. But with God... He never stops loving us. And friends, this is grace of the highest price. Verse 13 says that not long after that, not long after, after the son received his half of the inheritance, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. I want you to know that God loves us. He loves you even, even when you're walking away from him even when the only side of you that you show him is your back as you walk away. Here the son took what his father had given him. He liquidated it into cash and he left. Uh, some even suggest, some uh, writers suggest that, that the son was leaving in such a hurry that he sold his inheritance, the property that his father had given to him, divided up, that he took it, uh, sold it at a discount, right, to get, get the money early. And, and I thought about I thought about the inheritance that we've been given. You, you know, when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, you know what we become? We become sons. We become inheritors right beside Christ Jesus. And when you and I turn our back, when we reject God, that inheritance that we've been given, don't we sometimes sell it at a discount? Here's what Jesus wants us to see in verse 13. In spite of his own personal agony, 
In spite of his rejected love, the father allows the boy to leave. And just as this father was willing to endure pain rather than disown his son, your father, my father, our heavenly father sometimes releases us. He releases us to go to reject his love and pursue our own will. God allows us, God allows us to experience the far country. He allows us to experience the far country, but the difference between us many times and God is that God, instead of writing us off when we go and we experience the far country, just as this son did, what does God do? He anticipates our return. He waits, if you will, he is patient that we would return to him. And that takes us to verse 14. And there in the far country, the younger son squandered, he wasted his wealth in wild living. Now some, some paraphrases, some translations, go on and they explain that in further detail in drunkenness in buying women in buying friends the party got started the day he left and it continued but you know what god loves me and he loves you even when you're wasting your life you see that's what this young man is doing he is wasting his life. I think one of the most painful realities for parents, for grandparents, aunts and uncles, for youth leaders, we have such an amazing group here in our church, teachers at school, parents, people who selflessly serve others. One of the most painful realities is to watch the people we care about waste their life. You know, I often get frustrated when, when we're in this room and, and people are jibber-jabbering or on their phones or something, and, and, and people take that as me being upset because they're on their phone. And friends, I get upset because I feel that you're wasting the opportunity to hear what God has to say to you today because he wants so much more for your life. But God loves me even when I'm, when I'm wasting it. Even when I'm digging the rut that I've been living in, even deeper. He longs for us to live in his blessing and his will for our lives, yet God patiently waits and loves us. How do I know Peter wrote? God is patient with us that none would perish. You know, in conversation with people who are putting off their decision, to live in the inheritance of God's grace and forgiveness. Uh, people who say, I, I'm not going to get baptized until my parents are okay with it. And I'm not talking about youth. I, I'm talking about those of you that are 40, 50 years old that were raised up and maybe a Catholic uh, 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 relationship, right? Uh, you, you know that when you accept Jesus and you move to a Protestant faith, you know there's going to be some pushback. And I know that there are so many who do. M more so are people who are just living crazy lives. There was a young, young father who attended church here several years ago. And, and I went up to him. I got built a relationship with him. I said, hey, man, you know, what can I do to encourage you? When are you going to make that decision to surrender to the Lord? And I so appreciate his honesty. He looked me in the eye and he said, I'm just not ready to give up some things. 
And he listed those things. And then they were things that the son was, the, the younger son went off to do. They were things that, that don't produce joy, that don't produce peace, that, that don't produce health. But at least he was honest. When Jesus says that the prodigal gathered his things together and took off to the far country, this is so much more than a geographical reference. Twice in this story, we're told of the son's conduct and how while on the trip, he's surrounded by friends who were eager to help him spend his fortune until the day that he reached into his pockets and got nothing out but lint. Galatians 6, 8 says, the one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. And that's when it hit the sun. He had come into town with his pockets full and now they were empty. And as quick as his friends had come, so they were gone. I've told you that story of doing a funeral of a man that grew up in the town that I grew up in who was the most popular on Friday night, on Thursday night, on Wednesday night, and Tuesday night at the bar after everybody finished work, and, and he did well, and he would buy people drinks. But yet when it came to his death, it was me and three or four other people who showed up that day. No person from the bar came. None of his friends that he had bought drinks for came now that this boy is without money his friends are nowhere to be found he's bankrupt his inheritance gone there's no way to recover it in verse 14 we find him wallowing literally with the pigs but you know god loves me even when i'm wallowing in sin <laughs> he does now wallowing is a word that, word that certainly paints a picture we used to call it waller Wallering. And what a picture Jesus paints for us of this wayward son. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You know, I think it's now that the son begins to think about maybe returning home. J just a little bit. He knows at home that, that his dad will at least give him a job. He knows that at home, he can at least eat with the hired hands. Even though he went to this citizen, and the word citizen represents someone of some means, someone of some wealth, some standing, this citizen was so disgusted by this boy that the only job he had for him was slopping the pigs. And so for the first time, the thought comes, maybe... I can go home and I can earn the money that I've lost. Several years ago, Lee Steinberg, a famous sports agent, who was once the most successful and sought-after agent in football, I know nothing about this, but apparently he was, he gave himself over to an interview, only one interview that he gave in his life. 
And it was from that interview that the film Jerry Maguire was inspired. Steinberg spoke about his fame and how it destroyed his family, how it drove him to alcoholism. And after losing everything, after waking up and walking away from every rehab opportunity, he said, I ended up in Hogue Hospital in a diaper, not even knowing where I was. Now, it's not hard to see the parallels between Steinberg and this, this younger son. Both were lost, both were defiled, both were broken. But I can assure you that even then, God loved Steinberg just as he loved just as the father in this story loved his son. Verse 17, when the younger son came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. And some think, some think that the, this is when the boy turned and that he got on his knees and he repented before God and asked for God's forgiveness and salvation. But that's not what's written here. There's no word here about the son taking responsibility. There's no word here about the son breaking the heart of his father and apologizing for the hurt and the pain that he's brought. What he does express is his desire to find a way out of the mess he's gotten himself into. At least a job at his father's servant would lead to food and a place to rest. Don't misunderstand me, he makes a turnaround, but he's not there yet. You know, I hadn't thought about this side of the story until several years ago, I met a man who lived just down the road who walked over here to churches when our offices were in the basement. He came up to these two glass doors that we no longer use. Now, as he knocked on the door, I walked out and I met this man, began a relationship with him. I learned that he had been a pharmacist, but one day he had chronic back pain. One day he just started counting out the pills and as he gave one for you in the prescription, he put two in the cuff of his pants. At the end of the day, he would begin using those narcotics for himself. He began an addiction. That addiction caused him to fall apart at work. He was no longer able to produce and do the things that are required. What a, what a challenging job pharmacists have on their feet all day long. You see why his back hurt. He lost his job, he lost his license. He had an enormous house up north, had three children. Some of you have met this man. He told his story to us himself. He had an enormous house up north. One day after filing for divorce, he went to the house to get the dog. You fight over the stupidest things when you go through divorce. And he wanted the dog. And so he went up, knocked on the door, out came the dog, he got in the truck, and his wife came out of the house chasing him. And as he tried to drive away, she jumped in the back of the truck. He sped up, threw her out of the back of the truck. She hit her head, was in a coma, and two weeks later, he had to unhook her from life support, and she died. 
Now this man, when he came to the door, he came here not to repent, not to ask for God's salvation or help, but he came here because he was trying to work his way himself back up out of the hole that he had created and he would try anything even if it meant trying religion. Verse 15 indicates that as the boy turns towards home, he nears the village where his father's house was. Notice it says here that his father recognizes him. Was it the way that the boy walked? How did he do that? Because it says at a distance the father recognized him. But what's significant is the father recognizes his son while he's still a long way off. Do you realize that? That no matter how far you've gone, no matter how many pig squeals you've been exposed to, no matter how covered your life is in pig stuff, You guys think I was going to say the S word. But I was at a quandary between slop and stuff, all right? Don't go, you guys are awful. You need to work on your language. But do you realize that? <laughs> that God still recognizes you? No matter the choices. No matter the places. The father didn't just sit in his house. The father didn't just go on with his life. I want you to think about it. How did the dad see him coming if the dad wasn't looking for the boy? My grandfather used to visit him. He was a farmer. He had a lot of property, not of his own, but he was a tenant farmer. All they had was running water in the house. Very, very poor, but very, very rich in their faith. And every night, they turned the lights out because they didn't have air conditioning and those summers were hot in Bedford, Kentucky. And he would sit and he would listen to the radio. So many fond memories of those days at Grandpa's. But every time that me and Dad, any time that me and the family would go visit Grandpa, he was working all day long in the fields topping tobacco that was way over his head, filthy, dirty. You know, I can't remember a time pulling in his driveway that he wasn't coming out of that field to meet me and to meet us. How he knew that we would be there at that exact moment, I don't know other than he was watching and he was waiting right there to greet us. This father, every day throughout the day, he was scanning the horizon for the possibility of the son's return. And my friends, God does the same for you. Jesus says in verse 20 that when his father saw his son, he had compassion on him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. He literally raced to meet his son. Now, again, what's not written here that we know is that it was the custom that a man of this father's stature would never run, let alone pull up his robe and get at it to go and to grab another man and to hug him. No, he was to walk with dignity, not run, but walk with pride. Notice the father doesn't wait for an apology. Instead, the father takes upon himself the shame and humiliation due the prodigal. 
just as God did for us when he went to the cross with Jesus Christ, our heavenly father, who have all men should sit and stand and walk with dignity and power and authority. Just as this father in the story would do nothing but run to that son, so our heavenly father has come for us and taken upon himself the shame and humiliation due to us, the prodigals. When the running father reaches the son, he pours out his love on the boy, he kisses him, he embraces him, and he announced a party that he's been planning the whole time. It's the party of all parties, much different than the party that the boy had experienced with his friends and his wild living. He doesn't withhold his love. Notice the father doesn't withhold his love. He doesn't wait a few months to see if the boy's going to hurt him again, reject him again. Instead, he turns at that moment to the servant and he gives him the instructions. Verse 22, get the robe, get the ring, get him a pair of sandals. God loves me and he loves you when we're wrapped in his arms. He loves us when we're wrapped in his arms of forgiveness. But then Jesus takes us one other place in this story to tell us that God also loves us. He also loves us even when we won't love him. Verse 25, out in the field. Out in the field that day, supervising his father's business as the older son. He doesn't see the younger son return. He knows nothing of his return. But at the end of the day, he comes in and he hears the sound of the party. Right? It's like when my girls were doing karaoke a few months ago out in our backyard. And everybody in the neighborhood, even the Amish across the street, started blowing horns and making noises, trying to get my girls to be quiet. They were so loud out there. We were having a party. The older son hears the party. He's met by a servant who tells him that his brothers come home and his dad's thrown the party of all parties. And speaking to his father, the older brother refers to the younger brother as that son of yours, not my brother. He's your son. Kind of like your wife tells you when you come home and your boy's been into trouble. I used to think the older brother was angry because the younger brother got his inheritance and he didn't get his. But go back to verse 12, where I had you underline. You see, the father gave both the boys their inheritance. That's why the father later says in verse 31, when he's trying to convince his older son, he says, all I have is yours. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> the dad had given both the boys everything. It's in verse 29 that the heart of the older son is revealed. He said, all these years I've been serving you and never disobeyed your orders. What is he saying? He's saying, Dad, I've been the perfect son. And listen, even though this boy has done all the right things, he's never disrespected his dad. He's always been faithful. He's been obedient. He's done the things that a boy should do. On the outside, he's done all the right things. But on the inside, he's rotten to the core. You say, he's rotten? Yes, he's rotten. He's resentful. He's prideful. He's self-centered. You see, the older son is as lost as the younger son. 
He's in just as much need of God's grace as his little brother. Now, here's the point. Why did Jesus tell this story? <laughs> Why did you, well, because we're all prodigals, right? Well, look at verse 1. Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, because he's surrounded by tax collectors and sinners. He's surrounded by everyday people. He's, he's surrounded by younger sons. He's surrounded by people like you and me who have squandered. We've asked for and we have squandered our inheritance. God has been looking at our back for a long time. He's surrounded by younger brothers. But he also sees on the fringe of the crowd the older brothers, the Pharisees. And he sees the scribes watching disapprovingly, eager to find fault, just like the older brother. And Jesus looks out at the crowds and his heart filled with grace towards both those on the fringe and those right in front of him. And he told this story. The hungry people that day, the younger brothers and the older, they both heard an invitation. The Pharisees could see an invitation to come to the party and be restored, but they rejected it. The younger brothers, the tax collectors, the commoners, sinners like you and me, they saw the invitation to come and receive his grace. But you know, there's one other person in that crowd. <laughs> and that's all of us today. He tells that story to us today because he knows. He knows that there are some of us still in need of his grace and his mercy that need to know that we were loved while we were distant and we are loved when we're in his arms of forgiveness. My grace, Jesus said himself, is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect. My power is made perfect in weakness. You know, it was the Apostle Paul who heard that promise for the first time. It was the Apostle Paul who quoted Jesus and wrote it down for us in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Do you know when it was in Paul's life? It was after Paul had pled with God to remove this thorn in his flesh, this messenger from Satan, he called it, this thing, this thing that had been with him, that burdened him. I, I don't know if it was a pig squeal from the past, you know, he had quite a past. I, I don't know if it was a physical burden. I, I don't know if it was his inability to forgive himself. But it says that he asked three times for God to take it away. And this was God's response. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. Right now, in what you consider a weakness, oh, that's where my power does its greatest work. I've got this. Paul's responsibility, just like our responsibility today, is to accept it, to live in it, 
and to take that next step because of what's been given to us. You see, whatever it is that brings us to that point of turning toward home, the place of God's grace, it's our responsibility. Just as it was the prodigal sons, just as it was the older sons, it's your responsibility and mine to take that first step towards home. So that's the invitation for you this weekend. It's always the invitation when we come to the end of a time like this in God's Word. A time when we look at our lives and we recognize our need. A need that is way beyond our own ability. A need that will not go away until we recognize that God's grace is the only thing that can fill. The only thing that can make us well again. Won't you come? Won't you get up and you run this time to the Father? The Father who came a long distance, <laughs> who lived and died and rose again for you, that you would know his grace. Let's stand together. Come. Come as we sing.